Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, and I'm here to tell you about my new product from my pillow, towels that actually work. Watch this absorbency test. Here's another towel that we randomly went out and bought. Here's one of my towels with a nice design. I don't know if you can see this, but you could line a swimming pool with this. I mean, this is crazy. Get rid of it. Towels that actually work. What a concept. I'm interrupting this commercial to let you know you can get our six-piece My Towels, regular $69.98, now only $29.98. Or you can save 25% on our brand new kitchen towels made with the same technology as our famous My Towels. Also, we have bath sheets, bath towels, washcloths, hand towels, and so much more. And the best part, with your promo code, your entire order ships absolutely free. So go to MyPillow.com or call the number on your screen. Use that promo code to get deep discounts on all my towels. And for a limited time, your order ships absolutely free. Welcome back to Information Operation. I met a very interesting guy at an event in Connecticut recently, James Lindsay. He's with us today. Thanks for joining us, James. I appreciate it. Hey, yeah. Pleasure to be here. So you have become extremely successful over the last several years. Uh, your books are exploding. Um, before we get into all that, uh, I know you were, you're a PhD. Are you a professor now or, or not? You were not? No, right? no. I no. left academia in 2010. Uh, so it's been a long time since I taught in a college environment. I was at the University of Tennessee at the time. I was teaching mathematics. My PhD is in mathematics as well. Um, so the usual follow-up is like, how in the world did you get to talking about the culture <laughs> war? And, um, I, I, I got a normal job and, you know, uh, instead of continuing in the academic world. And so I got a little academically bored and I started, uh, getting involved in, in, you know, some, some reading and some writing and, and kind of the philosophy domain. And it got attacked by a very early variation of woke, what we used to call uh, third wave radical feminism uh, yeah. in gender studies. And so we started looking into it, a friend of mine and I did that I was writing with, and we decided that they needed an academic hoax. And so we wrote a fake academic paper in 2017 called the conceptual penis as a social construct. <laughs> we said that penises are not real. They're a socially constructed idea that leads to all the problems in the world, especially climate change. And this paper <laughs> kind of fell sideways into a very uh, low quality academic journal that did uh, publish it. Wow. And so we spiked the football and said gender studies is fake. And it was very controversial because of the quality of the journal. And so we embarked on a project uh, from all, all of 17 and 18, really. Um, writing more fake academic articles. <clears throat> and we wrote uh, 20 of them, and that's come to be known as the Grievance Studies Affair. And uh, that led us to look deeply inside of the what we now consider woke academic literature and start to learn what was going on there. And what I saw was so alarming that I, I quit my job and, and dedicated myself to studying and, and warning the world about it full time. And so let's go through your books real quick. You've got several. I mean, what's the latest one and go backwards, I guess. Well, I've got one coming out in about two weeks, which is called The Queering of the American Child, which I mm -hmm. think parents will find very uh, accessible and frightening. It explains the influence of queer theory and all the sexuality stuff and gender stuff in education, particularly um, what is queer theory? How does how do they arrange education to deliver queer theory? Where did that come from? How does it work? It's written. Another guy is the primary author, and I'm a secondary author, so it's a very accessible book. He wrote it 
so that his, you know, blue collar dad would be able to understand every word that was written in it. And yeah. the feedback we've got from people who've seen early copies of it is consistently that it's extremely easy to read. And so uh, we're looking forward to that. The, the queer, the queering of the American child is the title. Last year, I published a book called The Marxification of Education, where I explain uh, how our American education system, actually Canadian too, so the entire North American education system lurched into a model called critical pedagogy. Probably um, it was it was kind of a done deal in terms of schools of education by the mid-1990s. And so I explained the history of that and more particularly how it works. And what I said is that that's the theft of education mm -hmm. um, because the model of critical pedagogy is designed to take regular academic material and use it as an excuse to have political conversations with kids to uh, radicalize them. So that book came out last year. Before that, I did a book called Race Marxism uh, that is a very deep dive. It's it's more challenging. It's more academic, uh, exposing critical race theory for what it is. And the title tells you it's race Marxism. And before that, <clears throat> I had a very popular book called Cynical Theories. It was the first big one that kind of mm -hmm. broke out on the scene. And that one explains the uh, relevance of postmodern theory to uh, woke. So you said something that struck with me when I saw you speaking at, uh, in Avon, Connecticut, at, I think it was Moms for Liberty or something, that it's never about climate change or feminism, feminism or anything or DEI. It's only about the revolution. That's right. And, and it's all Maoism, right? I mean, and, and that's kind of, and I know G. Van Fleet very well. She's fantastic on this issue. Um, but that stuck with me. So tell our audience about that. Yeah, the slogan, and I always forget, and it's really not okay. I think it's David Horowitz is the name. He actually coined this slogan. Mm -hmm. He was a leftist. In fact, he was a, a radical. And then if I know the story, I don't know the story well, I need to look it up and get it straight. But somebody close to him was murdered, in effect, by some kind of leftist activism. And it was his wake-up moment, and he realized it was not that good of a thing to be involved in. Yeah. And so he defected and he's actually quite conservative now and very clear eyed about what's going on with with leftism, both in, in academia and in activism. And he's written some very wonderful things about this. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that he said to summarize their entire mentality is that is the issue is never the issue. The issue is always the revolution. Yeah. And so whatever cause it is that they're putting forth is really, they don't care about it in, in earnest. They pretend to care about it. They act like they care about it. They throw emotional fits like they care deeply about it. But really what they're interested in is power, uh, to gain the power to advance the revolution. So, you know, when we were in Avon together, there was a protest outside. And I'm right. sure some of those people genuinely do care about the issue. But the overarching structure is that what they really care about is gaining power. And what they actually worship uh, is power. It's almost a religion worship yeah. power. And in fact, I think it's deeper than that and scarier than that. I think that the, the I know this is a bit of a diversion, but it it is a religion that worships their own power, like narcissistic power, like mm -hmm. to get religious about it, satanic power. Um, the self becomes God. And so when you tell them no, you say, you know what? You guys go live your life however you want, marry who you want, dress how you want, present how you want, do whatever you want but you don't get to impose it on kids. So you tell them, no, what you're telling them is that their God is not omnipotent, that their uh -huh. God is not all powerful and they lose their freaking minds about it. 
And it, ultimately, it's, it's, it's a religion of narcissism. But the key thing to pay attention to is if the issue is never the issue, the issue is always the revolution, that means the thing that they're, they're cheering about, they don't care about. And you'll see proof of that all the time. For example, Black Lives Matter comes out celebrating the idea of Black Lives Mattering. It's literally the name of the organization. But more black lives are being murdered every day due to the deterioration of policing in, in bad neighborhoods than ever before. It doesn't appear at all that Black Lives Mattered to Black Lives Matter. It looks like they wanted to gain power and money. Uh, we look at the, the example with these kids. Uh, yeah, okay, so one out of however many it is, a thousand or something like that, kids is twisted up enough about their gender to where it's a significant issue uh, psychologically for them if we go back just a you know a decade, yeah. maybe a de two decades, something like that. So we can consider that a baseline. It's far more now. But what they're actually doing is they're not helping this one out of a thousand kids, or maybe they are, but they're hurting, you know, 25 out of a hundred kids. They're, they're 250 out of a thousand. So they're, they don't care about actually, especially LGB, you know, gay and lesbian kids because they're trying to transition them. It's, it's like trans the gay away. So you can see that they're throwing their, uh, their constituency under the bus. If you talk to, to gay people about who are not part of this radical movement about it, they tell you this doesn't represent gay interests. We fought for 30 years to get rid of these these stereotypes about us, and now they're they're leaning right into them that it targets kids, that it's you know interested in kink and pedophilia and other things. And now here they are stuck with having to fight with that. So it doesn't represent them. You look at climate change, I just saw this thing where um, in the span of four or five years, they said that we had to put more trees in Africa. And now that they're saying that putting trees in Africa is killing grasslands. So yeah. they don't care about the environment. They care about having some excuse to funnel a lot of money and power in particular directions. And it's whichever issue, they, you know, politics, climate change, um, the vaccines or whatever. It's, it's not actually about public health. It, it, clearly it's not about public health. It's about forcing people to do something. And you see the same patterns again and again and again. So Tucker had a, a great comment, which stuck with me also on climate change. He said, uh, well, you ask them, were there glaciers, you know, back in the day? Yes. Were there SUVs around? No, obviously. Well, then how did the earth warm and the glaciers melt? Right. I mean, it's obvious it's some kind of sunspot, you know, climate, thing that happens on a cyclical basis. But I want to ask you, you mentioned the Satanism and all that. Obviously, something really bad is going on, right? Yeah. But when you're cutting up kids, when you're... It, so have you put your finger on it? Because I'm trying to do a lot of deep dives on that. It's yes. Figure out right. what is happening behind the green curtain. You know? Well, I mean... God only knows how many curtains there are to pull yeah. back, but I've pulled back one of the more significant ones. The answer to the question of what is this, whether there are more explicitly satanic elements or not, maybe there are. What is undeniably behind this is that if you look in Christian history, mm -hmm. and this is something that predates Christianity, but it became very significant in Christianity in the first and second centuries, there were a series of heretical cults that were called the Gnostic cults, mm -hmm. the, the Valentinian cult, the Sethian cult, the Manichaean cult. Those are three examples that were very famous, um, where in essence, the belief is that we in fact ourselves are God or inseparable from God or intrinsically a part of God. Our spirit is just imprisoned in the material world by the character in Genesis who pretends to be God, but is in fact 
this character known as the Demiurge that has constructed the world and locked us out of our spiritual inheritance. Hmm. And um, the story in Genesis is given that the snake is the serpent is telling Eve the truth that we actually are not just as gods, but in fact, we are God. And that the person who constructed Eden, uh, which would be the Demiurge in their myth, is uh, keeping us basically as his pets or his slaves to keep us down. And so when we eat the fruit of the trees, then we'll realize who we really are hmm. and elevate. So that's a secret knowledge of who we really are and into what conditions we have been thrown is the way that it's phrased, um, say, by Theodotus uh, writing you know, way back at the time. Uh, that's called Gnosticism. And Gnosticism is a self-centered religion that believes that we, in fact, are God and that it is our job to awaken to the truth that we are God and through one means or another. And what my research over the past year, year and a half, two years maybe, has really dived into and uncovered is that we have every reason to believe that the milieu that Karl Marx was working in, and there are philosophers before him, Hegel and Rousseau in particular, is a reconceptualization of the old Gnostic heresies, which were destroyed by Irenaeus in the mm. second century. It was a reconceptualization of those where instead of there being a spiritual realm that it tells us what our true nature is, there's the society that tells us what our true nature is. So the idea is basically Rousseau is the easiest, Jean-Jacques Rousseau, the French philosopher who led to the French Revolution right. um, and the birth of Romanticism is really kind of the best way to see it. He said, man is born free, but everywhere he's in chains. So our true nature is that we're free, but we're chained up. And what, if you ask him, what, what chains us up, Jean-Jacques? What Rousseau said is that, that constrains man and imprisons man in his own life is society. It's that we have to act certain ways, dress certain ways. We have to use logic and reason. We can't just use emotion. We can't live freely like, the, as he put it, the savages in you know, uncivilized lands where we're living in one, uh, listen to the language, we're living at one with nature, we're living in yeah. harmony, we're constrained by the clock, we have to pay attention to time, we're constrained by uh, social expectations on us. But he said, I don't want to go back to living like savages. I want to keep the civilized part. So the goal became to figure out how to mix the savage and the city together. He called it literally savages made to inhabit cities was is the mm -hmm. ideal state of humanity. And that's where we get this concept of the noble savage and all of these kind of um, romantic and mythical ideas that we're living the wrong way and that our society itself is imprisoning us and making our lives miserable and worse. Well, Marx packaged that same set of ideas up and the bourgeois class becomes the demiurge. So it's uh -huh. now social classes that are imprisoning one another. Uh, and in fact, imprisoning everybody, the bourgeois are imprisoning themselves in the system and dynamic of, of oppression. And Marxism is therefore actually the Gnostic religion where social and economic forces take the place of God. So that's why hard work is is racist? That's exactly why hard work is racist, yeah. because uh, hard work is a value that's held up by the, the ruling classes of society. Uh, and it's actually held up to their benefit. The The claim that Marxists would make is that they don't really work hard. They're very wealthy. They have very lavish and comfortable lives. They can take time whenever they want, but they want you to work hard to make money for them. And that's the same story as that God wants you to be the, or the demiurge wants you to be his, his, you know, nice little pet in the garden of Eden. But in fact, it's a, it's a prison cell and it's wow. exactly the same story. It's the exact same idea, except 
there is the fall too. So I shouldn't say it's not, it's not quite that. It's not that God wants you to be his pet in the garden of Eden. It's that you've already come to know who you are and you've been thrown out. So you work by the the toil of your back and the sweat of your brow and childbirth is painful. The whole Genesis four, three mm-hmm. and four uh, story, all of that is thrown on mankind uh, as a result. And so the, 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 the bourgeois class is actually doing that to the proletariat class. That's Marxism. It's just Gnostic, it's the Gnostic heresy reconceived where the deity is society instead of as kind of an abstract force. So you think that this uh, force entity, whatever is just survived over the centuries is what, well, yeah. So like I said, the Gnostic heresy precedes Christianity. Knowing how to invest your money is harder than ever before. Dealing with stock market volatility, record debt, and terrorist attacks requires new thinking. At U.S. Asset Management, we can help you see the world more clearly so that you can move beyond the chaos and invest with confidence. Call us, visit us online, or drop by our office. U.S. Asset Management, helping you make better decisions with your money. Yeah. Gnosticism is a mode of thinking, and basically what it is is it's it's a it's a narcissistic uh, entitlement complex posing as something else. Mm-hmm. So in the first and second century, it poses theology. Well, that wasn't going to fly in the 18 and 1900s. Uh, we had, yeah. you know, the Enlightenment had occurred. We were a little bit more materialist. We were trying not to be so spooky, spiritual, and mystical about how we understood the world. So now the mysterious forces became the systems of society. So systemic racism, systemic classism, uh, the intrinsic nature of class struggle is the actual old Manichaean duality from the Manichaean cult, re, which is a Gnostic cult, reconceived in terms of social classes and the the dynamics, of the you know, the mysterious complex dynamics of society, which are bigger than all of us and transcendent to any individual. And so it's just the reconception of the same ideas. But Gnosticism has latched onto Christianity in the first and second centuries. And again, since Swedenborg, the social gospel, liberation theology, you name it, um, other weird heretical cults that have sprung up through time and, and gone away. Uh, Gnosticism has latched onto Judaism. It has latched onto Islam. We see that particularly in Hamas. It's a, it's a Gnostic approach. I mean, Islam's a bit different. It's got its own um, structure that's very different than Christianity, but it's latched onto philosophy and science in different times and different places. Gnosticism is a parasitical belief system. What it basically boils down to, like I said, is it's a narcissistic entitlement complex. And what it does is it takes on the clothing of other ways of thinking, whether that's a religion, whether that's science, whether that's philosophy, whether it's public health. Uh, it takes on the clothing of other other ways of, of thinking and doing. And it's it's what it says is, hey, you know part of the story, but we know more of the story. Come with us. We know the secret. We know the real secret. We know the stuff they don't want you to know. Who are they? They are the ones keeping you down. So do you think that is, uh, uh, you know, I've run into uh, the Kabbalah stuff a little bit. Do you think that's how that's attached in that kind of mystical? Yeah, I mean, that's you know Jewish about mysticism, that? Yeah. Uh, which, uh, I mean, I've talked to some Jewish people who have very uh, positive thinking about what that can be or should be cor- correctly understood. And I've also heard those same people talk about the thing that people think that it is and the stuff that got kind of very popular in Europe in the yeah. 16th and 17th centuries that actually led to the creation of Marxism in part is in fact a 
largely just a fraud. It was it, it was like the equivalent of Deepak Chopra walking around talking about, you know, secret Jew magic. And mm -hmm. um, much to the dis... Again, they don't care about the people that they're claiming the name of. This has not worked out positively for Jewish people when you have these frauds and charlatans coming right. around claiming mystical beliefs. There's even a Christian Kabbalah that, that uh, broke off and was very popular in the 1700s in Europe, mm. um, which, and even in the 1600s, it tied into like the Rosicrucian movement and the literal, the thing that was literally called the Illuminati, um, which was fairly short lived at the end of the 1600s in Germany. Uh, and so, yeah, this, it, th that's basically what we're talking about. When I say Gnosticism, it's actually mm -hmm. mystical religion. So it's kind of like we have three domains. We have faith, which is the domain of things like actual religion. And then we have kind of, I don't know, science just to hold up as a placeholder, science or reason. And what the Enlightenment did was fuse those two together, put them in cooperation to build a better society. And it's worked. But then you have this other strain that's mysticism. The Enlightenment was shot through with mysticism, but it was also squeezing it out. And these mystics figured out a way to basically give birth to social science that served their interests. So all of the magic and mystery went into social dynamics that they um, claimed dominion over. But at the end of the day, you know, is this satanic? Well, that's that's more or less what the church fathers or what people like Irenaeus thought of 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 the Gnostic heresies in the first place. That is mm -hmm. the satanic impulse to to deceive, to accuse, yeah. to, to build a cult of self, to picture that yourself as God rather than being humble uh, before God and fear God. So in a sense, the answer is is yes. It, it, well, you know, I, I've I've talked a lot with, the, I guess, Kabbalahs, and and you could say this about the Masonic stuff too. But it's 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 a way of gaining power over others. You get the secret knowledge, and what, and the leaders are the ones who you know once you get up the ranks who really understand the secret power and can manipulate. And and and, and, and I've always yeah, that's right. Marxism that's right. is basically just extreme irresponsibility. Um, that's right. So, and I'll tell you the secret yeah. power. It's actually yeah. not mysterious. It's very simple. Secret societies have a lot of secret power. And here's how it works. Let's say let's say it's Masonic. It doesn't matter mm -hmm. what it is. It's just something we can put a pin on. Mm -hmm. If I'm if I'm a Mason and you're a Mason, we've got our secret agreement. You do favors for me. That's mm -hmm. the secret power. So mm -hmm. if I let's say I'm trying to do a building contract or whatever, and you work at City Hall, and I'm like, I need the water stuff approved. You can make sure that gets rubber stamped today, yeah. where my competitor is going to have to wait three weeks or three months, or maybe it just keeps finding its way to the bottom of the pile and it never gets approved, or every you know box has to be checked off just right. So you do favors for me, and those favors include fast tracking my stuff and slow tracking my competitors. Whoops, secret power. We're in the same dirty corruption. club. Corruption. The th it's corruption. That's right. The yeah. secret sauce of, of, of secret societies is corruption. And then the trick is we're both bound by uh, what what's binding us together besides belief in the club itself is that I can tell on you and you can tell on me. Yep. So blackmail and corruption are at the bottom of the magic power of secret societies. So that's what we're having now on steroids, right? The, the steroids the are at full blast. That's right. Yeah. So you, Back to Christianity, you know, I learned a lot about the early, uh, you mentioned the first couple centuries. A lot of the customs we have in Christianity now are pagan, you know, customs that they just pulled over to try to make the Romans comfortable in this new religion, like dyeing Easter eggs was 
literally they would sacrifice children and dip the eggs in the blood. And, you know, so all of that, but I see the targeting of Christianity is very obvious. Do you, I mean, that's the one thing that is standing in their way, I guess. So I want to expand that a little bit because Uh I think it it doesn't get the, the attention that it needs. It's both Judaism and Christianity that are very explicitly targeted. Mm -hmm. And I say that because they, not just because in a sense that Christianity is a derivative from Jewish faith. I mean, very clearly the, if you, the first, you know, I say half, but it's much more than half in terms of pages is the, Mm -hmm. of our Bible is the old Testament. Okay. So, um, the reason that Christians and Jews are targeted so vigorously by these kinds of ideologies is because Christians and Jews have a absolute humility before their God and an absolute commitment to their God, which means they're not going to sacrifice that relationship and their duty to it in order to serve the state. They're not going to give in to the totalitarian power. They're not going to give in to... This is a a question of ultimate concern for Jews and Christians, their relationship with, with God. And if that is there, there is something that prevents absolute fealty to the system, the state, the organization, the club, the secret society, whatever it happens to be. In this case, with communism, it's the state. And that has to be done away with. So Mm -hmm. Christians have to be targeted and Jews have to be targeted because their God comes first, which means the program doesn't come first. Yeah, well, that's very, very obvious. So what do we do? I mean, where are we? Are we making progress? Where do we, what's the top, you get this all the time, I'm sure. What are the top three things people have to do today now? What I'll tell you is that you're in Connecticut, I think, or at least that's where I know you from. And Connecticut's, yeah. <laughs> Connecticut's a little bit We have a paper there, so I'm up there all the time. But Yeah, it's, anyway. a, it's a challenging environment up in the whole kind of It's the most North communist Atlantic infiltrated and, state in the union. That's right. Yeah. The constitution state of all states. Um, so yeah, but the entire new England and North Northern Atlantic state situation, Pennsylvania on up the whole Eastern seaboard is, um, pretty well a challenging environment. So it'll be hard, harder for people in, in those places to hear the truth that I'm going to tell you, which is that we're making tremendous progress Mm -hmm. that if you look kind of more broadly, Think about the things you feel like you can say now that you do not think you would have been able to say, especially on air in 2021. The the the, the speech situation has improved tremendously. Mm-hmm. Um, so we know we're making progress. We're watching lawsuits get filed. I'm in, getting increasingly, you know, asked to consult on various ones of these around the country. And many of them are succeeding, even in liberal circuit courts, like the Ninth Circuit has even affirmed some of the things that are on the correct side of the Constitution. The Supreme Court has affirmed it doesn't always get everything right, but it looks like we're winning actually more cases at high level federal courts than we're losing. Um, So in many respects, at least culturally and, 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 and in many places legally, we're starting to see the turning of the tide. What I think is that the way that this kind of any kind of a mafia or a corrupt tyranny goes down is as the old saying goes slowly than all at once. Yes. So what that means is that you do your, your efforts against it and you bang your head against the wall and it feels like you're not getting anywhere, but in fact you are getting somewhere. There's just no visible results. And then what'll happen is the weight of the thing will collapse all very quickly 
when it's when it crosses a threshold of being delegitimized. So what are some things that people need to do? Well, the first thing that they need to do is they need to be willing to tell the truth, mm-hmm. even if there's consequences. Completely. Just yeah. start taking the consequences and wear them as badges of honor. I understand your lives. I mean, you've got to feed your kids. You got to do this. You got to do that. But people have got to be willing to start speaking up. Um, whistleblowers are some of the people who are going to do the most valuable work. I've been saying this for four years and no one really listened until recently. James O'Keefe has really had that ball very successfully rolling. Whistleblowers are going to do a tremendous amount of work. So even if you have to do it anonymously, make sure that those stories of what's actually happening get out. What we're going to find is we're now entering a legal environment where the abuses in the workplaces are going to start garnering lawsuits. The abuses in colleges and universities are going to start getting lawsuits. They, They already lost in the Supreme court at the universities, it's only a matter of time until they lose in, in, uh, uh, in, in employment because they're in violation literally of civil rights law. And so pressing on this and being ready, getting the stories out and being ready to litigate. If you're in that position is something you, you, you need to do. You need to organize, um, locally, uh, in States like you have in new England, mm-hmm. uh, it's crucial that people start trying to take over, not necessarily the state, the, the cards are stacked against them, but start looking at local things, school boards, yes. townships, yep. counties. Yep. And, but more importantly than that, start looking not at the thing overall, but at the RNC within that, within the, the Republican apparatus should be being put to use for the American people right now. Um, and it's not. But yeah. That, there's 200,000 vacancies. Yeah. Going in and yeah working to take over the Republican party in these states, which I hear at every state I go to that's either purple or um, the purple or blue on the map is the Republican party has abandoned us. The Republican party won't work for us. So they work, a, they box us out. They just won't, they won't put any money. They won't do anything. Well, to hell with them, take them over. Yeah, so start exactly. working to take over your local Republican party and fill it with Patriots, which is what it should be filled with in the first place. So start looking at that. Um, and, when you do that, start small and gain success and use the success to build momentum to get the next thing. A lot of people think backwards about this. They think we have to win the issue because the issue matters. That's not right. You need to recruit people because that's what's going to make you win the issue. So your main thing should be to get people to say, hey, if we had, you know, for this small election or whatever, this local judge election or whatever it is, we basically only need about 100 people to show up and turn out and we can flip this thing over for our benefit. So we need to go find a hundred people. So your goal should be bring a friend. It's not yeah. what idea do we have to, what's the next thing? How to, how to, it's no, get a friend to show up and get clear on the issues. And so to the degree that you can produce materials and share materials, those are the primary things that people need to be doing um, constantly telling the truth. And more importantly, especially in these embattled States, standing up for other people who tell the truth. I'm going through this in Utah. You think Utah is supposed to be super conservative. They're going after a woman who made an honest, minor, honest mistake. They're going after her with the full force of the national media right now. And her own party is abandoning her. Her own friends are abandoning her because they think she's become a toxic asset electorally. And so what I'm hearing is we might lose four seats or five seats on the state school board if we stick with her. But if we just throw her under the bus, maybe we can keep most of them. But no, you're you're, you're compromised already. Stand with the people who are getting attacked by the machine, especially in places where you guys are outnumbered. You've got to stand together. You've got to help each other. 
conservatives tend to be bad about this. They all want to compete with each other. They all want to find their angle, their edge, their money making, their whatever. Stop it. You, if somebody on your on, on our side makes an honest mistake or even it's just kind of ginned up and they get attacked, you've got to stand with them. You've got to stop being afraid, take a stand, stand with them. And what happens when you show that courage is more people come along and do it too. And yeah. so have the courage to stand with the people you know are good people, even when they make a mistake. That's good advice. Um, with that, is there anything else you want to get out to the to the public? I mean, I got a bajillion things going on. So um, I encourage you, if you want to go pick up when it comes, it comes out on the 29th, mm -hmm. um, the Queering of the American Child that's coming out soon. Sometime later this spring, uh, maybe into early summer, we're thinking May. I'm in a, involved in a documentary that's really going to open a lot of eyes to what's happening, especially in churches and schools and with kids. And it's called Beneath Sheep's Clothing. I encourage people to go start looking at that, start getting ready to see when that thing comes out. I've seen an early version of the film, and it's even the early version is amazing, uh, very eye-opening, very clarifying. So uh, beneathsheepsclothing.movie is the website for that. You can find your link to your favorite place to buy the book at queeringbook.com or from my website, New Discourses. Great. So we... Uh... We have we're competing against the New York Times with our New York paper, the Manhattan Press. We have the bestsellers list, which has no censorship. So liberal books are on there, whatever. But we're starting a book awards program, so we'll have to get your book entered. But well, anyway. that'd be great. Yeah, thank you. Um, All right, man. Appreciate that. Thanks, James. Take care. We'll we'll hopefully talk to you again down the road. Yeah, I look forward to it. All right, take care. Whoops. We roll these back up.